That's one of the like only the, things I like, have. And, and so now I'm going to have to like fucking work like a dog because everyone around me is watching me and like writing up a report card about my performance. I mean, tricking your boss is like one of the only good things, le- like forms of resistance and good things left to a lot of workers. Philosophy. I'm Owen, and here with me today is Lillian, Gil, and Will. Hi. Hello. Yo. Today's episode is a special request. As you may know, Patreon supporters pledging $20 or more a month can request an episode topic, and we promise we will do our best to make it uh, eventually. The episode was requested by patron Travis Froberg. Thanks for the support, Travis. All right, so for today's episode, we're examining the idea of participatory economics developed by Robin Hanel and his frequent collaborator, Michael Albert. Uh, One of the few things that unites the left is opposition to the capitalist market as the ideal ordering force of economic and social life. The problem, according to Hanel and Albert, is that we on the left often find it difficult to offer a compelling, thorough explanation of what should replace it. It is imperative in their view, should the historical opportunity ever arise to democratically supplant the capitalist market, through crises or upheaval or both, uh, that we have sufficiently practicable and just alternative models to draw from. Over the last decades, Hanel and Albert have developed and proposed such a model, both broad in scope and granular in detail, which they call participatory planning or participatory economics more broadly. Uh, As the name of the theory suggests, its aim is to progress beyond the choice between capitalism and what they call authoritarian planning, referring to the central planning systems of the former Soviet bloc. Authoritarian planning, in their view, had two principal shortcomings that participatory planning corrects for. One is economic and the other is moral. Economically, such authoritarian planning suffered from inefficiency in organizing productive forces, resulting in wasted resources and efforts. Morally, they produced new elites and created new inequalities and inequities in pay and work. Participatory planning, in their view, addresses both of these shortcomings through transparent, well-informed, democratic, and collective planning procedures for both producers and consumers. So let's look at the five planks of their proposal for a participatory economy. Uh, There isn't the space here to flesh out all five of them, so I'll focus mostly on a few of them. But let's just list them first. First plank is economic justice. The second is economic democracy. The third is solidarity. The fourth is efficiency, and the fifth is diversity, or economic diversity. All right, so number one, economic justice, or equity. Hanel and Albert attempt to answer the philosophical question, which distributive maxim is morally justifiable or equitable? And their answer is effort, or sacrifice. They sometimes use them interchangeably, effort. In a market economy, people are rewarded, paid, according to their contributions to the market through work and according to the contributions of the property they own, stocks, income from rents, etc. Participatory economics proposes payment according solely to effort or sacrifice, including education and training towards the public benefit. 
It's true that market societies typical, typically labor under the illusion that effort is a central factor in determining distributive reward. But any person that can rub two brain cells together knows that inheritance, <laughs> luck, contingencies of birth, and exploitation of the labor of others are the great distributors of reward. So who will evaluate our productive efforts under participatory planning? That's the key question. Well, it's participatory, so coworkers would be the judges of our efforts, our effort level, rather than, say, bosses or owners. As they put it, quote, while measurement will never be perfect, there is no better way to judge efforts than by a jury of fellow workers who serve on an effort rating committee on a rotating basis, end quote. Finally, the rewards for this effort will be both non-material, what they call social esteem, and material, though the material rewards will not be out of proportion with the needs of the social good. So that's just a quick gloss on economic justice or equity, and as they conceive it. But you can't really understand it without understanding the second plank, which is economic democracy, which they also call self-management. All decisions pertaining to both production and consumption in a participatory economy are made by councils. In the case of production, decisions are made by a nested series of federated workers' councils from the site of production, like the factory or the office, to the neighborhood, town, region, and the whole of society. In the case of consumption, and I found this really interesting, it will no longer be considered as a solely individual phenomenon. What do I want to buy? Instead, councils of consumers in neighborhoods would make collective decisions about what they want in their neighborhood, in their city, in their region. These decisions will be indexed to the effort of the producers in those same neighborhoods and regions. And that's something I'd like to discuss and maybe question a little bit. Quote, one of the serious liabilities of market systems is their failure to permit expression of desires for social consumption on an equal footing with the expression of desires for private consumption. That I wholeheartedly agree with. So one way to understand this economic democracy is that it's taking economic democracy and extending it beyond the workplace, rather than just talking about the importance of having democracy at the site of production, like a union. They want to extend it to the whole, all of the logistics of the production process will, process will be handled democratically at varying scales. Uh, the third one is solidarity. I'm not going to say too much about it here, except that they define it as concern for the well-being of others. Um, and really, the idea here is that, you know, they're not saying that humans are naturally, they naturally exhibit solidarity with one another. It's not a natural claim. But that under this economic system, we would become homo socialis rather than the homo economicus that capitalism has made us. And then the fourth one is efficiency. And uh, this is one of their principal interventions is to say that a planned economy should not be less efficient than a market economy. And so they point to things like uh, innovation, which will be rewarded again, though, through things like social esteem and monetary compensation that is not out of proportion with the needs of the social and the needs of the social good. So just to quote one uh, more passage of theirs on efficiency, they say that, quote, we recommend emphasizing social recognition of outstanding achievements for a variety of reasons. Successful innovation is often the outcome of cumulative human creativity for which a single individual is rarely responsible, facts. Furthermore, an individual's contribution is often the product of genius and luck as much as effort which implies that recognizing innovation through social esteem rather than material reward is superior on ethical grounds, end quote. And then the final one is economic diversity. Uh, what they mean by this is effectively that 
economic freedom will still persist. People will still choose under their model what career they want, what uh, education what educational opportunities or training opportunities they want to pursue, where they want to live, and all that kind of stuff. So the the plank of economic diversity is meant to push back against, again, also authoritarian elements of previous planning models. All right. So then, yeah, I guess I'll just finish up by pointing to, I, I don't know, a couple of questions I have. I mean, there's a lot that I'm really sympathetic to with this project. I think there needs to be a lot more work done like this, the difficult concrete work of imagining exactly what schemes might work alternatively to the market. But I would, I would be curious to talk about a couple of things. One of them is like a logistics question. And this is kind of like spontaneous, I have to admit, but I'm not sure if we really want to be like constantly weighing in on the efforts of our peers. And I'd like to like ask you guys to, to sort of, you're talking about, man, I love (laughs) evaluating my peers. Um, I love the 10 year process. Let's go. (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe in grad school where I could just have my fellow grad students evaluate my performance, you know, in terms of conversations at the bar or something, but, uh, (laughs) I don't know. So yeah, this idea of like constantly weighing the efforts of our peers, going to multiple meetings, I would assume, weekly to discuss aspects of, you know, problems that pertain both to production and to our collective social consumption. Um, I'm curious what you guys have to say about that. I mean, some part of me, part of me would just really like if there was some way that the state could do all of that stuff and for <laughs> us and be and like, and be sufficiently checked by the threat of pop of like popular revolt or something. If they manage things in a way that is grossly inequitable or inefficient or wasteful or got to kill the cop in your head. Um, Owen. I know, I know. I'm just, I'm, I'm being honest here. Okay. This is an admission. It's a confession. It is really funny having Owen of all people be like, I just kind of wish the state would do this. <laughs> I mean, just, like out of the, the four of us. There, well, there's a Protestant work, eth- Protestant work ethic element that in this that um that did actually kind of make me want to not do anything like not do all of this like <laughs> civic all the civic participation and just oh maybe i was God. wrong the whole time and let's just have a good state let's just actually have a let's have a state but like let's do it right you know i like that you're like torn between like an anarchist desire not to be governed by a state and also like a desire to like just be really fucking lazy and let someone else take care of shit i mean that's really what it comes down to yeah these like, are the I, two poles i don't see a lot of room in the model for the kind of idleness i envision as the good life <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? yeah that's that. fair that's so good so I don't I don't necessarily want to start immediately with the whole have our peers, you know, because I think that can take us down the path of you know, critiquing where this doesn't really yeah. well, what seems fuzzy about it at Fair first. Enough. And I, mm-hmm. I'd like to you know try to you know to give this project its flowers first and try to say, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about you know why something like this is actually very hard to do. Um so when I was reading this, I think you know, a lot of people have the idea. And I think it's, you know, people who will say, yeah, 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 you say bad things happen to capitalism. Do you have any better ideas? Can you replace a price mechanism? Can you replace, you know, the productivity of the market, the dynamism of the capitalist you know, process? And I think, again, people who don't know this literature very well will like, well, yeah, socialists love this idea of like a society of solidarity, but they actually haven't thought very much about the concrete details of what another form of social life would look like. Mm-hmm. Well, these authors kind of put paid to that. You know, they wrote this back totally. in the 80s and the 90s. Whether you agree with all of their claims, you can't say that other ideas haven't been offered uh, at the sort of granular level 
of mm. how to solve the problems that capitalism presents while keeping some of the problems solving that capitalism does. And so, you know, one of the things I want to start off with is something that makes this very hard is always what exists is often given more feasibility and plausibility yeah, than what does not yet exist. Yeah. And so I wonder, even though we'll, I'm sure we'll get to our questions, critiques, whatever, you know, I'm wondering if we were writing at a time before capitalism emerged, would anyone have had all of these sort of granular details worked out already? Right. And so sometimes I, I worry that you know one of the ways we can re-naturalize our form of life is to already say, oh, you don't have an answer to you know this minute question. And so we have to stay with what we have. Mm -hmm. So I like that what they're trying to do is they're like, so what does the market do? And can we come up with um, different practices or institutions that fill that gap of what it seems like the market does, but do it better? And so they're thinking, well, we're already overseen and evaluated but it's by bosses, by a capitalist process that we don't control, what if you know, the evaluation happens more horizontally? And then they're trying to work from there. And so I think that's one of their mm -hmm. strategies of mm -hmm. looking at what the market does, what already happens, and say, trying to figure out what's contingent, what's necessary. So it seems something you think is necessary, some form of valuation. So that doesn't go out the window. Yeah. What's contingent is maybe who does it and how it's arranged. Yeah, I think maybe I want to step back from this to sort of try to explain the motivation for the project a little bit more because I agree I agree with all of this and that's that's really helpful. But like they're trying to give us like a third way, Hanel and, and Albert and uh like the third way is between two things, right? So let's let's take as given, like like Owen said at the beginning, we're all anti-capitalist markets. Great. We're not, we're all anti-capitalism here. But then it seems like they're writing in a context where, and so this is like maybe even a question, do we, do we buy this framing? The alternatives open to us if we want to say no to the capitalist market is either A, authoritarian planning, right? Centralized, call it Stalinist or CCP style, top down, this, there's going to be like, a, I don't know, state bureaucracy that determines what production, distribution and consumption looks like uh, in a sort of unaccountable way. We don't love that. Let's go on the record. Not if I, although again, like Owen, sometimes I'm like, can someone just figure this shit out and make it happen for me? You know, <laughs> I actually am very sympathetic to that. Or on the other hand, um, market socialism, right? Is like the, the other concrete proposal. And I, I was actually hoping maybe I could like force Lillian to weigh in on this a bit more because I don't know all that much really about the mechanics of market socialist proposals. Other than that, there is an argument according to which markets do a lot well or better than a planning economy could do in terms of, yeah, organizing more or less spontaneously a wide diversity of production and distribution channels that uh, satisfies a great number of needs. And, you know, couldn't we make that more democratic? Couldn't we channel the forces of market spontaneity, creativity, and like productive efficiency toward better social ends than capital accumulation in a socialist society. Now, Hanel and Albert think that that doesn't fly, right? They think that like market socialism is dead on arrival. Um, it holds on to market value rather than effort as the It ends up holding the, on to market yeah. value. It inclines toward a capitalist organization of society more or less ineluctably. And that seems very plausible to me. And then, of course, there's like the moral side of it, right? Like, you know, having a, a society based on competition erodes the sort of sentiments of solidarity 
that we'd like to foster in a genuinely ethical or more equitable society. So I, I guess I see that. I don't know. I, I sort of wanted to start here by asking you all like what you think about this critique of market socialism, whether we find this plausible, whether we think that like, you know, find a third way between these two options is the right framing. Because I, I sometimes am on board and sometimes I'm like, I don't know. We can get into the problems of participatory planning later, but yeah, yeah. What's what's going? What's up with market socialism? Why why do we like it or not? I mean, there's a couple of different ideas about what market socialism is. I think there are, are some new ideas about this. Like I know there's a book being written now that sort of tries to synthesize them. I'm not sure what that'll look like, but some models are a little bit more economic democracy, like I think David Schweikart's model, who was my old teacher, is the kind of market socialist view where I'm not the right person to be super intricate about this stuff because I, I talk like I understand economics, but um, I, I don't really. So You understand it better than us, though. So. I just spent all week <laughs> trying to understand anything about economics, and I, uh, <laughs> I, I gave up, basically. So like one thing that like Schweikart proposes is that you basically have a system of public banking and the way that competition would come in would be that groups of, of workers would might be able to compete for public investments and whoever was able to increase labor productivity and efficiency and basically you know develop products that people actually want would be you know if you, they can turn the firm over um, then you would redistribute that uh, income to the workers themselves and also, you know, pay back the public loan. And then if it goes under, then it it goes back to the state, you know, so like the resources aren't, um, aren't lost. And there might be some allowances for like entrepreneurialism. So like people who come up with good ideas may in fact have more remuneration. It, but then importantly, like if they die or retire, that that also goes back to the public. But like in the course of their lifetime, um, they may have more remuneration. And I guess the the incentive behind that is that people don't really have a good theory of like how innovation happens. And from what I understand, no economists have a good theory of this. Like in some <laughs> sense, competition can generate innovation, but there's also examples, you know, and I think the, these guys are right to their credit. Albert and Hainel are right to say that also other things do. Social esteem is, is one is another motivator, but there's not really like a great theory of what are the best mechanisms to produce mm -hmm. innovation. So I think like Schweikart leaves it kind of open that you may in fact remunerate people more preciously if they have really good ideas because you have to have some leeway for like accounting for that possibility and motivating people. Then, you know, like I think John Romer has a different kind of market socialism. That one's like kind of popular among like the neoclassicals. It's less like economic democracy because – his like vision, I think, is to like remunerate people through like, I mean, I think people can get wages, but you also get a certain amount of like capital stock through coupons that you can then yourself invest. So it's kind of like marrying capital and uh, grant schemes with a way of participating in like how uh, how to invest 
That one's always been really fuzzy to me because he writes in lots of equations and I just have a hard time following him. But it is the one that's probably closer to just like actual market competition. It's just that like the ownership of productive assets is not concentrated. And he thinks as long as it's not concentrated, markets are pretty harmless. Hmm. So there's, I think there's, I think there's other views also, but those are like the ones that stand out to me. It strikes me, and I, I'm just constantly always reminded about this whenever we start talking about economics and all of that, that I think for some people, when they, they talk about economics, it's like you're the sub science of pure numbers that is almost just only about math. But, in, but you know, while listening to Lillian talk and reading this, there are also values built into the paradigm, almost sort of mm -hmm. um, counterfactual claims about, you know, what type of, of person or what type of society we are in order to explain things like why does innovation come about? Um, you know, how do we you know, recreate something like dynamism? And so often, you know, it might seem as if, you know, if you're a philosopher, oh, why do I care about economy? I care about ideas. Well, it seems like economists also have ideas about, you know, what types of human creatures we are, what makes it possible for us to accomplish certain goals and to what ends. And so that, that to what ends part, maybe, you know, that's kind of where I was going. I mean, maybe, you know, part of what's going on here, I was surprised to hear them talk so much about, you know, ethics and morality. And maybe this is why they're pushing against market socialism is they're not only trying to solve sort of practical functional problems. Mm -hmm. They are also trying to make a positive argument around what types of values should bind us as social creatures. And they even say explicitly, it would be better if we as creatures were more motivated by non-material compensation than material compensation. And so part of what they're, you know, they're trying to maybe make explicit is sometimes it can seem, my boy Hayek, sometimes when he talks about the economy, it's as if, you know, he doesn't have any values he's putting into it. It's just this is what the, <laughs> the economy does. But he clearly it has a type is. of social vision of what, you know, he thinks freedom should look like. And so, you know, sometimes it can seem as if that's often hidden in these discourses, that there is an implicit normative value of what a productive society looks like, a stable society looks like, a dynamic society looks like. And so there's, you know, there's obviously the practical argument, there's this normative argument they're trying to make of, you know, the type of society we should have is the one wherein we have more and more control, debate, and, you know, evaluation that's more horizontal rather than oriented around the idea that competition is you know the primary way we produce and innovate and even um engage in political action yeah i think i actually think that they have a pretty robust response to hayek apart from the point about being honest about what the like system of values and the normative claims that they're operating under under because Hayek's whole point about planning is that there is no single mind or even a kind of small group of minds that are smart enough to understand, to take in from a, from a synoptic view, all the complexity of the, of, of a, of an economy and plan it accordingly. But their response is that, yeah, I mean, they almost say like, yeah, okay, you're right, Hayek, like no single mind can They kind of grant that, don't they? Yeah. yeah. And that's why we, uh, and, don't yeah, they need grant it. That. They're like, that's <laughs> don't why we don't it. need authoritarian. That's why we're against authoritarian planning because we, d we don't think epistemically it's possible to grasp the whole, but what you can do is if you have like a federated system of councils that coordinate with one another, that are well-informed, that are transparent, they can respond dynamically to changes in the economy. And so, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, just, I think I just wanted to flag that response to, totally. to Hayek because I actually do think it's an important point they make. I will say though that like, 
I, I have to confess a certain kind of like unfair skepticism that I find myself like throwing up. And the reason I know it's unfair is because when I take the very next step, I'm like, okay, you could say the same thing about fucking markets. And so like, for instance here, what I was going to say was like, all right, so agreed, right? They're not doing the Hayekian one mind, right? That's there. They have the like, and the, and the way that they get around this is by, like you said, federated councils means bottom up organization and planning, right? Not top down, not centralized, fully decentralized. Mm -hmm. um, and then I go, okay, but wait, like, is that really going to be is sufficient to make sure that like enough of the different kinds of things get produced that like, for instance, like, I don't know, is any one of the neighborhoods in charge of like producing for themselves or determining their own production really going to say like, okay, we're going to be the people who are in charge of, I don't know, making toilet plungers or whatever, something necessary, but perhaps not particularly interesting. And then I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Why am I, why is that the critique that I want to throw up here as though like capitalist markets, like, efficiently determined production and distribution. Like, that's not true. It's like, why is it a fair critique in one case and not the other? And then again, I guess like the system that they propose for iteratively working out proposals for both production and consumption are is supposed to like adjust those to each other. I guess I'm not convinced that that model would work, would actually function, both because again, like I'm not sure that it would actually like meet the the create it would meet all of the demands that are necessary and also i have a question here about democracy they just say things like look there's going to be a proposal for what we produce and what we want to consume everyone let's assume has been evaluated for their effort properly pin in that for later cuz i have questions about that let's just assume that that's <laughs> solved and then if it if it doesn't work out if people like it don't agree then like then they go back and they reformulate the proposals and come back again. And we do that until we have a proposal that everyone's down with. And I'm like, wait, do we need unanimity? That sounds yeah. <laughs> like, do we need like bare majority approval? Like what's going on here? A lot of like very familiar Rousseauian sorts of questions about like the minority dissenters uh, in a representative or, or functional democracy start to like make noise in the back of my mind. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sure. Sometimes it might seem democracy isn't all it cracked up to be. You know? <laughs> so I I think that there I really like part of this, but like not as the whole economy. So I think that point you raised, Gil, about toilet plungers or, you know, we're going to be the people who make sponges. That's a question that you really do have to ask, because when you start saying things like, Federated workers' councils. The question is, like, what is the unit of representation for such councils? And when you start saying it's like every neighborhood is going to say, th say this and then every region, it's hard to understand how an efficient division of labor emerges yeah. when you start thinking about the need to mass produce and specialize yeah. in things, which is like yeah. that is what a a complex economy is going to be unless you're really like a localist about it but i actually don't take that to be what they're doing like i don't think they're mm -hmm. trying to scale us down mm -mm. i think they're trying to have an iterative procedure to be able to have a complex and economically integrated system so the question is like why would you choose to specialize in one thing or another i think 
that when it comes to like the consumers councils, there's certainly a way of like signaling to have like shadow prices so that like the productive process would get some like it's not that I I think no planning like there is something to be said about that. But how it is that like producers councils like my question is just about like this the scale and like the location of of these units and and who gets to decide who's doing what. Having said that, I also think that even if you, like, depending on your answer to that question, you do run into a sort of communitarian problem because it seems like when you say, okay, neighborhoods get to decide what they want, if that's they want a certain kind of thing, you know, when new people move there, you have to have a way of uh, accounting for social change, freedom of mobility, how to kind of adjust the model based on th- those kinds of what you would hope would be ordinary and even natural cycles of people moving in and out of different places. And the way that a market person would respond to that is that, yeah, that's why you have specialization. Like people go to work and they might get placed in a different job somewhere else, but they can still do that job or their skills are transferable and they can get reskilled depending on what the market is is offering. So I, I think I'm being a little convoluted, but that question of like what is shaping the values of the neighborhood and the region and like what they are saying that they want, there is a, a question about like how to create transferable skills, mobility because it's not just about consumption. It's about like, where do people fit into this process? Having said that, I think that like there's a super interesting part of participatory economics that can really work for some things like art, like leisure, like the kind of collective and public goods that markets systematically underserve. Mm-hmm. I don't see any, and that's actually where communitarian values would be great. Like it is true, like regional cultures are lovely and I would like to go to your festival. I would like to see your movies. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like there is a whole yeah. range of goods that like I think would be really nice to have a participatory system for like how they're being turned out so that they can be equitable and so on. Yeah, that's really cool. So what that makes me think, and don't don't worry, Gil, we are going to talk about one's co-workers evaluating them. You know. <laughs> I'm, I might do a little bit of this on the episode. I've got some, some grading <laughs> for you. Um, but I love this idea. Okay, so maybe the insight we can get from what, you know, Hanel and, um, what's Hanel's partner's name? Albert. Albert. What Hanel and Albert are doing by saying, well, actually, well, let's look at what, you know, markets as we have them actually tend to erode. And when we look at, you know, things like art and leisure and all of that, they either end up homogenizing, winnowing away and destroying. And so we might say something like, well, maybe this could work by limiting what those types of markets, you know, can do to certain regions of social life. And, you know, and maybe, you know, the, 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 the broader question or the further question out after that is, 
is. So how do we develop the institutions or political power to enforce the sort of limitation of the market such that there can be areas where participatory economics you know, can flourish without being beaten out by, say, Marvel Studios saying, that's a nice fair you have there. How about Iron Man shows up or something like that? <laughs> so I, I, I take it some of the worries with like market socialism is if the competitive principle remains in place, attempts to limit it, control it, will inevitably get eroded and subsumed mm -hmm. by the broader system. Yeah. And so, you know, I, again, I don't think Hanel and Robert? Albert. Albert, Albert. Sorry, Albert. I mean, uh, the first one's the more famous one. I, I, he beat you out. I, I, was, uh, oh, I was trying to be fair, but, you know. Sorry. Sorry, Robert. Albert. Sorry. Um, Sorry, Robert. Yeah. Sorry, Robert. I don't know, man. I knew there was an art. Okay? Oh you know, give me a break. They don't tell us what transition would look like, how we would get there. Right. And obviously that's that's like really key on our minds. But it, it seems to me, you know, one of the worries about market socialism is if you, if we really do think that capital is a totalizing system like this, then even leaving it in place, you know, it will always transgress those borders. So we'd have to ask yeah. questions on how to limit that, such that something else about how we make decisions and produce can emerge. Yeah. So, like, uh, the transition question is a really good one, but I do want to give granted to them that that's just kind of not their problem, um, Albert yeah, and Hanel, you know, fine. I think they're having a very specific argument with a set of mostly economically minded thinkers and certain sorts of left wing activists making the argument that, hey, guys, actually non-market planning not impossible, right? Like st mm -hmm. start there. And also like markets, not as great as maybe you think. And again, the two arguments there are like, you know, and Hanel's got another piece that uh, I, I looked at. I don't know if you did, but like Lillian said, like my eyes start to glaze over when I see too many uh, uh, equations. And this, too many this, article had, man. this article had a lot of equations, but it purported <laughs> to demonstrate yeah. that actually markets are very bad vis-a-vis -vis allocative inefficiency. And I was like, I'm, I'm going to just take that as red. I bet you're right. I'm not checking the math. <laughs> I was the same way. I was just like, sure, I believe yeah, bud. you. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I, I think that like, you know, situating their argument is helpful, um, yeah. at least not impossible for there to be non-market planning. It would be at least not worse than what we end up with with markets, because I, I, I like what you were saying, Will, like, I think that the idea that we can just like put just put a couple of checks on markets and then we're going to be fine. Like, I think that that actually is a pretty big assumption. Um there's a lot of really good reasons, I think, to suspect that yeah. any sort of like competitive market-based activity and stipulated however stipulated however you want, right? Like, you know, I was thinking about this too when Lillian was talking about I think it was Romer's proposal, right? Where like, I don't know, like saying that it's not a, don't worry, it's not a capitalist market because it's not like private capital in individual hands. People just have vouchers. I'm like, this sounds like markets with just a couple extra steps or or like the license plate numbers scratched off. I'm not sure how different that sort of thing ends up being. There are vouchers for now. I mean, like, yeah. I think the, like Will provided the key, the, uses the key term, which is we've come back to a lot, which is totality. The problem is, is if you leave elements of the market in place, like the commodity, for example, it will find a way to voraciously like destroy anything that stands in its way, end up defining <laughs> and end up defining the social totality in the end. You know, like, 
I mean, well, I think you're right, but that was such a crazy way of putting that. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was it was the best language. I wish more economists wrote like that. 100. Kind of voraciously eating and destroying. Yeah, what and all public, all, like destroying anything that is for the public good. Yeah. I mean, I I'm not that big of a fan of of Romer's view as far as I understand it. Um, I think he does think that basically. Markets are just more or less benign, and the problem mm. is mostly distributive. Like I, I, do, I think that's basically mm -hmm. the legacy that's of his yeah. perspective, that the problem with capitalism is, is mostly distributive. And in his most influential essays, like he's somebody who thinks you shouldn't even care about exploitation because exploitation follows from a distributive problem, the distribution of productive assets. Like he has a famous essay called Marx, Should Marxists, Marxists Care About Exploitation? Yeah. He also thinks that the alienation view, like not having control over one's labor is like a red herring. So like it really is like the thinnest kind of distributive view of what's mm -hmm. wrong with capitalism. And that's why his solution makes sense in the way that it does and the, why, and the reason many people find it unsatisfying but it is like I, I do think like you know like this model I do think it's workable mm -hmm. and I think that the important thing to keep in mind about it is that it is distinct from capitalism whatever its other normative faults may be because he changes the productive relations so it's not just the market Wait, he, he does the change the productive relations or just I thought you said it was just a distributive but he thinks that's how you change it like if mm -hmm. the co ownership of productive assets is not unequal and not concentrated then you're not going to get capitalist market competition okay, yeah, you're yeah. going to get market competition on a different yeah. social basis so like I just think like to his credit he's not just doing capitalism light he thinks that that's the nub of the issue and if you challenge that that will be a different way of producing. So therefore socialist markets are not capitalist markets. And like, I think that that should be taken seriously because there might be other, I think there are in fact, like many other reasons to not find the model attractive, but just the idea that it like doesn't challenge capitalism is not one of those, because let me give you the al alternative. Like, so the other side of like the basic income debate is like people who want to give out universal capital grants. So like once in everyone's lifetime, they get like $100,000 and they can invest it however they want. Um, and apparently this is supposed to reduce dependency on the labor market, but create a more benign capitalism or something. He does. He's not doing that because he wants more equality in the ownership and the mm -hmm. participation in mm -hmm investment over a person's lifetime. So I just want to give like like Romer some some credit that like the distinction actually is in the relationships, but he thinks the relationships are primarily shaped by distribution. Yeah, I didn't mean to like be too dismissive of it. That sounds that's more robust than the way I was describing it for sure. What seems to be what follows from this, and you know what what Hanel and Albert um, are doing is there's actually you know a deeper debate going on here that I, I do worry that sometimes on the left is taken for granted, which is Hanel and Albert, and from what I understand, what you were saying about Romer is you know part of how this social theorizing works is also what you think is the key problem that needs to be solved is. 
And I think sometimes yeah. we simply assume, and I'm using the royal way, obviously, like no one in this room. And if you're listening, not you, you're great. We assume we're all on the same page of what we think the problem is of, of capitalism. And, you know, don't always explicate. Right. And, and it turns out how you theorize what the problem is will also affect what you think the type of solution will be. But there's also another type of debate that I think is going on with Albert and Hanel that, you know, that can make it difficult to discuss this when we're in this present form of life is they're also, I think, trying to redefine how we think of freedom. And so they, mm. you know, they have this quote in one of their articles, where like, if you think economic freedom is just a freedom to buy and sell, that's not actually economic freedom. So they're making that sound like a descriptive claim, but it's also clear, and I think this is where we can get to the sort of your coworkers evaluating you. They're trying to make also a different claim of how we ought to think about freedom, how we ought to think about value. And that will, of course, rub uncomfortably against us now because we don't often think about freedom, economic freedom beyond the freedom to buy and sell. And so, you know, I think what I'm trying to say is there's also, even in this descriptive work, there's also a re-evaluation of the normative concepts of how we assess how well this system works. And so they seem to be saying that the different type of people will become will be ones who become actually comfortable with and you know, are encouraged by our fellows evaluating us. And so I'm, and, you know, I guess the type of argument I'm trying to make is even trying to describe practically a new system is also a redescription of particular normative values that we might think we already know and understand. That freedom mm -hmm. will undergo um, a redescription, equality will go, undergo a redescription, and that's what a, um, a different form of life would be. So, yeah, I just want to like, kind of like throw that in there and think you might be like, oh my God, my coworkers evaluating me, but also you only think about your coworkers in this particular form of life of competitive, sort of cutthroat. Sometimes you work together with them, other times, but maybe we'd have different practices and values that would make that practice something altogether different than what it would be now under this form of market and capital accumulation. I just want to jump in and add one more thing. I think that you're right, Will, that like actually what I was saying was actually going to lend more support to what Gil said than it sounded like. It's just because I feel like the objection to to Romer is like or or to like a narrow market socialist view. The The objection isn't that it's not socialism. The objection is that it's narrow, that like he doesn't think that we're going to be much different as people under socialism mm. than we are under capitalism. And and so when we say like we're just going to have more capitalism, what I actually hear you saying is this form of life isn't going to look much different. And I mm -hmm. think that would be a much more accurate critique, not so much like that the distributive relations aren't any different or we wouldn't have more equality. I think he thinks we would get better but it wouldn't be radically different because equality makes people better, presumably. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know about this evaluating your peers thing. <laughs> I hear you will. I, to be honest, I just don't buy that. I actually Look, I, I always have to like you know, take my yeah. shot. I mean, even if I don't agree. I know. Yeah. I appreciate <laughs> the shot you you, you yeah, shot. It was it was. That's very it was kind. good, but I'll come back on that. I'll come uh, back on that later. Yeah. No. Let's let's. Let's crack that open since we're on it finally. Um, I got to say, and Owen, you mentioned this a little bit in your introduction or maybe in one of your first comments, like <sighs> effort, <laughs> sacrifice. Yeah. I don't know, you guys. This is, <laughs> I don't know about all that. Like, I, I get that. So this feels a little bit like a concession to those who 
like this feels like bending the stick too far, right? Like they're saying, no, don't worry. We're not going to be authoritarian central planners. And your image of that, if you're coming out of the mid 20th century of like authoritarian bureaucratic socialism is like everyone is the same. Everyone is identical or like that's what the form of equality is, is identity. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, don't worry. There are going to be people who have more and less. There will still be some kind of like, um, uh, you know, it won't be equality in the in this sense of like total uniformity or identity. But now there needs to be a principle that determines what that is. Why do some people get a little more to consume than others? Why do people have like more uh, affordances for luxury than others? And their answer is effort. And I don't fuck with that. I don't know. That sounds yeah. like it's it sucks. I get their critiques of other principles. I agree that yeah. the way that the market distributes this is fucked up and sucks. I was going to say, yeah, effort. we should start with what's bad, with what they, <laughs> with what they rightly like consider to be a bad way of determining compensation. Yeah, right? the, market, other the market's way, yeah. way of doing it is fully capricious, right? Like, yeah. in, it's, in, it's even, inher- even it's on the innovation, even on the innovation question, it gives everything to the yeah. innovator or the patent holder, right. right? Despite the fact that there's an incredible amount of social labor that goes into any one single individual's innovative step that they make and a ridiculous amount of public resources that are thrown into yes. their ability to to be educated to work in an environment in which those innovations are made possible i just have to say real fat this is not important uh but yesterday i watched a good amount of <laughs> elon musk's recent appearance on the joe rogan experience and oh that was the dumbest fucking conversation i have heard in my entire it was so infuriating and insufferable yeah. elon musk great innovator of our time uh, explaining to Joe that like he had to do this, he had to buy Twitter to save humanity, to save yeah, civilization from the woke mind virus, which was because the woke San mind Francisco virus was going to homeless. And Joe Rogan was like, "Yeah, I agree, man. You definitely did save the world." And I wanted to kill myself. So anyway, like, <laughs> let's not talk about how like market allocation is at all equitable <laughs> or just, right? That man doesn't deserve a fucking. But also, animal. he never has innovated a single goddamn nothing. Thing. Ever. It's a whole bunch of fucking engineers around him that are, you know, again, it's the exact instance of all of the social labor that goes into creating a particular product mm. being Invisible allocated eyes. to one fucking dumbass, undeserving individual. <laughs> the, you know, from, really, the, from yeah. apartheid emerald mine. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. So anyway, all that's to say the, the way the market allocates sucks is stupid, but like, I don't, I don't know about effort. I, I think that yeah, there's, yeah. Like, yeah. The, and, and this gets to your question or your point, Will, about like even descriptive accounts even proposals for descriptive accounts embed or embody particular visions and normative claims. And there's a kind of latent uh, presumption here of like the virtue of like hard work of effort and sacrifice that I think concedes too much. I don't, I don't like it. I also think there's like a more structural economic question. I mean, I don't know if they answered it. I'm a little hesitant to raise this because like the whole reason that this model emerges is that it's different from, like, the Soviet project. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. But, yeah. like, one reason, at least this is the, the Brennerite view of this, that the Soviet model didn't work, it's because there was, like, you know, the famous bureaucracy gets formed in the planning process, and that's what makes it top-down. And, like, this entire model rests on the kind of leap of faith that no such problem will occur because planning is iterative. The issue is that you have these little count, these councils, local, regional, and my question is really like, what is gonna stop a bureaucracy from forming internal to those like locales 
if you elect some people, okay, and they, they, they sort of have an incentive to both increase the efficiency so they have more capacity, like, you know, because you, you want to have more effort mm-hmm. for your plant, for your neighborhood, for like whatever you're doing. But then what if the people in that plant decide like they actually want to undersell their their efforts so like they want to say that they have that they're making less of an effort than they actually can because they want to keep getting the kickbacks that they mm-hmm. would get by kind of over underestimating what they're able to do like this is the source of soviet corruption like that that's what it is like they they the um state planners had an incentive to do inefficient things from what i understand about their model procedurally is that you wouldn't want to systematically undervalue or undersell your effort or productivity because that would mean that you get less of a right to the consumptive share Consum- consumptive share yeah you'd get le- and you'd also less able- social esteem you get less social esteem, yeah. <laughs> and also you'd be able to like consume less shit on that basis, right? I think. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if that fully works to solve your worry, but I think that's what they'd say. My issue is almost more of like a discipline. It's almost more of a disciplinary one. Like one of the things that they say specifically is that this is a better model. Like the the coworker evaluating effort model is better than like bosses or employers evaluating it because it's easy to trick bosses and employers like into like sh- like <laughs> making it look like you've done a lot like when you <laughs> when you haven't that's like, and, so and, and I was like Yo, wait you're gonna take that away from us like you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna you're gonna take away from us like it's one of the like, only the, things I like, have like, and, and so now I'm boss. gonna have to like fucking work like a dog because everyone around me is watching me and like writing up a report card about my performance I mean tricking your boss is like one of the only good things le- like <laughs> forms of resistance and good things left to a lot of workers like, I'm fucking dying. <laughs> man that's freedom like I mean that, that, I, that was that's one of the best things capitalism ever did like, it's a little bit tongue in cheek but I kind of mean Holy it yeah. you know what I mean I'm not I'm just not oh sure it makes God. me bristle a little bit oh and you know at the end of one of the articles you had us read there are a couple of comments and I'm not quite sure they beat this critique, but one of the comments uh, was someone being like, clicks and all of that will probably still form in the workplace. And what happens if you're unpopular? Literally, with I your kept coworkers. thinking about that. Oh, fuck yeah. And yeah. they had like kind of a one sentence response to it like, that wouldn't, that wouldn't happen. happen. That wouldn't happen. You know, cause, and like, I'm like, but I, yeah. I, I want to believe you. Would be your I know. It's want very you. optimistic. I guess your coworkers' idea would be that your coworkers want you to produce well and to be recognized for okay. it and keep producing well because they want more of the, of the consumption share right. allocated to Which them is not individual, but is communal or organized based on these federated so, councils of workers. Like, yeah. So it would be like, we're not going to get our towns. Like we're not going to get this library or this like, new but, community this, center but, wait, or some but shit. this actually goes to Lillian's question in the other direction. This would lead to systematic over evaluation of effort. And I now yeah. have a reason oh, to, yeah. To lie about this motherfucker. Okay, who, I actually didn't really understand that point, Lillian. That actually is a very, really good point. Actually. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah, it actually. Yeah, because yeah. like you might have some people who are like unpopular, but like, what if you have like a crew and you're like, yeah. we're gonna be more like a little mob over here. Yeah, and we we're gonna overestimate. Each one, our, 
We're yeah, all working we're all very hard. Yeah, we are we're all doing working so great. super hard right okay, now. Now I'm getting on board again a little bit, though. With the we're going to overestimate <laughs> our capacity. Man, you would have been a fucking. Oh, and you would have been a fucking monster in the Soviet Union. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so attached to the importance of being able to scam you. So we're going to be able to like actually do much more than we yeah, say yeah. that we're able to do. Right. So and then we can like. But we, you know, we do a lot, so you can increase, like, your consumption bundle, but then you can just, like... They'd say something like, but this is why, like, it's, like, a transparent thing, right? So, like, if I don't think that you guys are evaluating your workplace over there properly, I can come over and and look and see for myself. But this starts to feel like a really weird, like... Crazy internalized surveillance society. And you can pay society. them off, though. That's yeah, what I'm saying. Fucking, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We ball. Fuck like, it. We ball, that's true. Dude. We fucking that now. I, yeah, that's what I'm I love about. how yeah. I love how we're oscillating really quickly between either this turns into a panopticon or it turns into actually there is no transparency. You know, we all just end this together, riding on our consumption share. Like, I mean, I guess yeah. one thing that I I kind of want to point out, like I, I that's kind of an ill. Fo- I do think that's the problem with the Soviet Union is that it bred inefficiencies for this for this reason. And it didn't like it wasn't able to innovate and people stopped working because they didn't see the point in it and so on and so forth. I think that there's a lot of safeguards they try to do to like prevent this problem. But when you give that much autonomy to like productive units, like the potential for Mm -hmm. corruption to just like buy off the people who surveil you or like kind of have more like mob justice. Like, yeah, it's nice that you want to work hard, but we don't want to work hard. So we're going to say we're working hard, but we're not going to work hard. And then, you know, it can, and then the question of like how you motivate innovation in that context, like greater efficiency becomes a little like that's, that's a, that's just a question. Okay. And I think that one reason why this occurred to me is I do feel like the whole setup for this is like we're not the baddies that of the, the we're not the Soviet baddies, and because you know just like right. for what it's worth, anti-communism isn't my my bag. So I actually think there's a little bit of a failure to understand what the Soviets did well in order. Mm-hmm. And then therefore to understand what they didn't do well. And so when you start with the premise that the problem is just that it's top down, then I think some suggestions about planning may, I'm saying may, like potentially, it's almost like you might be too clever by half. Like their problem was that they're the bureaucratic top top down baddies. And obviously we don't want to do that. But then you start realizing that, oh, Maybe they didn't mean to do that. You know, like maybe that was. Yes. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> when he starts talking about like federated councils, when he starts talking about like local councils and they're all federated, whatever, I was like, do you, do you mean like Soviets? Yeah. Maybe, like a, maybe a union? <laughs> maybe, maybe a union of, of different word. Soviets. Maybe we can have a big union of them. Maybe we can have a big federated union of various Soviets. And I'm like, man, <laughs> this might be a great idea. <laughs> Yeah, like I'm not saying that to like shut it down. I'm saying it to like... Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, totally. totally. I also just want to say that as a broader ethical point, just like finally that like an ethical point against the whole effort and work thing, not an efficiency or a logistically or whatever managerial point, which is that, and I don't, it's not like I'm 
you know, I know this idea of luxury automated like space. Com- what is the term? Space fully space- automated luxury communism. Fully automated luxury go. communism, whatever. Like, Foul. I also think like, it might include space communism in there. Sp- something, yeah. yeah, something and like that. And it's gay. Is, We're in space. Is generally gay. yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like it comes under a lot of flack, and it generally is silly. But I do think there's it isn't silly to hope that like the way that we develop and organize our economy eventually requires us to have to do less effort. I have an issue with just like placing effort so centrally because I do think it should be an ideal. Like we should be trying to have like to have things function in a way that is like both productive, that meets needs and allows for human flourishing, that doesn't make require us to do so much garbage effort and stupid effort at yeah. things that are just like menial, at things that are not rewarding. And so like and more of an ethical issue with with raising effort to such a high standard. So that does it for us today. Uh, new episodes of What's Left of Philosophy come out every two weeks, wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check us out on YouTube for videos and live streams. Thanks again to Travis Froberg for supporting the show and making this episode happen. If you too like what we're doing and want to support the show, please go to our website, leftofphilosophy.com, and click the support button. Patrons get access to exclusive content like locked episodes, bonus videos, and access to our Discord server. You can also buy some What's Left of Philosophy merch from the store linked on our website. Follow us on Twitter at Left of Phil, and don't forget to leave us good reviews and comments on your podcast app. With that, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Take it easy, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.